This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. All right. What's up, gentlemen? How are you, Philip? How are you doing, Phil? Mike Gola Jr. going to join us, as usual, in about a half hour. The Football Hour into Purple Live with Courtney Cronin joining in studio at 5 o'clock. And uh, all kinds of stuff. On 1500ESPN.com, Mackie and Judd, and uh, sorry to just take over the show at 4 o'clock and basically kick you guys off, because you guys aren't huge poker guys. No, go for it. Manny, are you a poker guy at all? Uh, Not really, but I I am pretty fascinated by sort of the concept of it and how it's become such a huge thing. So I think people who've listened to the show for for a while here uh, know about my obsession with poker and co-founding the Mid-States Poker Tour in 2009, and if you're... Whether you're a fan or not, ESPN has a 30 for 30 podcast series right now, too. That they This is season four, I believe. And it's available anywhere you would find your favorite podcast. Right now, you can find episodes about the early 2000s poker boom. And one of the main figures of the ESPN 30 for 30 poker boom audio documentary is Chris Moneymaker, who turned, if you're not familiar with the story from 2003, an $86 online qualifying buy-in on Poker Stars. <laughs> Into $2.5 million as the winner of the 03 World Series of Poker. And maybe more importantly, his presence and his run and his rise to stardom is one of the main reasons why poker became so popular in this country. Chris, thank you for joining the Mackey and Judd Show, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. How's everything going? Uh, well, we, we di- uh, we, you're, you're known to put a couple bucks on a football game once in a while, so we definitely want your Vikings thoughts at some point before we, uh, we hang up with you. But how would you characterize, with this, with this audio documentary coming out and seeing where poker is right now, And how would you characterize the last 15 years of your life compared to what you thought it would be before you won the 2003 World Series of Poker main event? Uh, obviously surreal. I was an accountant before I had studied, you know, went to the University of Tennessee, and they lied to you when you go to school there. They told you when you're an accountant, you're going to make a lot of money. Well, you end up just counting everybody else's money. You don't really make a whole lot. So, um, I wasn't real happy after I got out of college with my career choice at the present time. Um, and so I fortunately fell into poker and winning the main event and changed my career about six months after that. Yeah. So from your perspective, and, and, and if people were making a pie chart of, of why poker became so popular from 2003 and going forward, a lot of people would put you and what you did, number one on that list. From, from where you sit, what are the main circumstances in your mind that led to poker becoming so widely internationally popular 15 years ago? I think first and foremost is the whole card cameras. I mean, they've been uh, showing poker for a long time on ESPN, but... 
um, you, for a long time, you couldn't see the whole cards. Um, the year before, they actually showed Robert Varconi win the main event with whole cards, and that got me a little bit fascinated. Um, the problem with Robert, why he was a smart guy, and he wasn't an amateur like me, he was an MIT guy, and he didn't really relate real well with everybody else. Like, you know, he's, he seemed super smart and um, seemed like, you know, he, he sort of fit in if, you know, a smart guy is going to win a chess tournament or a poker tournament. Well, you know, I come along and I'm just your average Joe, and if I can win it, then anybody can win it. So, you know, it, it sort of sparked uh, a big generation. So I think it's the whole card camera, my my victory, the fact that you could play online poker easily and learn the game quickly. And then also during that time, the NHL lockout was going on, so ESPN didn't have a whole lot of content to put on, on air, so they put what was getting the best ratings, and that was poker. Yeah. So what was, because you started, correct me if I remember, you're gambling career if you will you started betting on football games and college games what's the story about how you transitioned from sports betting primarily and i think you took a big loss if i'm not mistaken and then into poker well i like playing blackjack and i like playing in the pit and I, every time i'd go to a casino i would lose um I did pretty good at sports betting for a long time, but then I got greedy and lost basically my whole role and my dad's role in one weekend. Um, that's kind of unrelated to getting into poker. I got into poker because I liked being in the casino environment, but I hated leaving the casino broke every time. So I went from playing in the pit to playing poker and realized I could stay there and have a good time and hang out with everybody and make some money, yeah. which was obviously very appealing for us going there and coming back with zero cash in my wallet. Yeah, what what would you? Chris Moneymaker is with us, and if you if you're a fan of just good storytelling or you're a fan of poker, ESPN Thirty for Thirty podcast series has uh, some great stuff about the poker boom from 2003. Which which poker skills would you say are highest on on your list of attributes, and which ones translate best to just everyday life things? Uh, patience, uh, reading people, reading situations, and memory. Those are the ones that really. Um, make a good poker player, and also, I mean, all that sort of relates back to real life. Um, I can't read women very well. I mean, I'm not <laughs> superhuman. Um, my my wife seems to have the market set on that. But uh, when it comes to like reading what guys are doing and what's going on, I can read situations pretty well, and I can read what's going on at, on and around the table. So I can pretty much tell when someone's interested or some you know I'm losing someone's interest based on their body language and just how they're reacting. Do you have any specific, I know, you, I know that you cite, as a lot of people do in the early 2000s, the movie Rounders as inspiration for you know, piquing your poker interest. And there's a famous scene where, where Teddy KGB is twisting the Oreo, which is totally unrealistic in, in real poker. But do you have any moments that stand out in your head where you put a read on someone or you picked up something in reading body language that you can share with us? Oh, for sure. I mean, you can actually see it on YouTube uh, when I'm playing against Chris Oliver um, in a PCA event. I actually had a mental coach at the time, and I was mic'd up, and I went over and told my mental coach at the time, I said, I've got to read on Oliver, who at the time was the most aggressive guy at the table. And I, I successfully bluffed him with nine high and folded top pair to him. Um, you know, I was just reading him like a book, and it was just that basically how he looked at his cold cards and how he adjusted his body before the action got to him as to floors, um, how his hand was pre-flop, and then how he positioned himself post-flop. Um, so it's pretty easy to read. Um, but for, as for now, just like a quick viewer or listener tip, 
Um, one thing you can listen for is what's called a snapper, and that's where when people look at their cards, when they let them go and they hit back down on the felt, they make a snapping sound. When players have good hands, they generally don't snap them down. They'll put them down softly. When they have just a, a medium hand or a weaker hand, they'll snap them down really hard. Wow. What are some other things that people generally do when they're either lying or bluffing? Like when, when, when can you tell that people are full of crap? Most of the time, it's, you know, basically, I talk a lot at the table. So, you know, we're always having conversations, and you can always tell when someone either has a big hand or is about ready to pull a big bluff because they'll all of a sudden get really quiet or they'll start breathing heavily. Uh, things that you look for are blink rate, you look for breathing patterns, and you look for just the, the speech. So if someone's been really talking about the table and all of a sudden now they're really quiet and they got really quiet after the flop or all of a sudden, you know, this guy hit a big draw or he hit a big hand. Um, obviously, there's no perfect science to anything, but you can pretty much narrow down a guy's range based on a few different things, and you start putting those things together. So if he was maybe snapping his cards really hard or he had a really high card apex or something like that, and then all of a sudden he goes from really chatty to really silent, well, that's going to be a good ind- indicator that he's you know, in the hand and he's playing real serious. Other people, when they're not, when they don't have good hands, they get on their phone or they'll start watching TV, they'll watch a sports game or look at the waitress or whatever. Um, so there's all kinds of little bitty things that you you sort of look for and then you piece them together and it sort of tells a story and you just build that story and hopefully by the end, after 30, 45 minutes, you've got to read on a person and can tell, you know, this is a guy I'm not going to bluff or this is a guy I'm going to bluff, this guy's easy to read, etc. Did you know all these things in 2003? Oh, of course not. Uh, I was a complete amateur. Uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss. I mean, the only thing I knew is if I had a good hand, I was going to bet. And when people look nervous, they usually had it, uh, which back then, you know, strong means weak, weak means strong. That was the only poker book out there. Um, so whenever anybody looked really, really nervous and weak, I just assumed they were had a big hand and vice versa. When they act all full of bravado and staring at you, acting all tough, they usually were weak, so I would just raise. Um wasn't a whole lot of rocket science to us, or rocket science to it. So, Chris, of all these things that, that you have uh, picked up on and learned through the years, what is, in your mind, the single most important thing? Do you think? In poker, I mean, it's bankroll management. I mean, you can be the best poker player in the world if you don't have proper bankroll management, you're going to go broke. Um, that's you know, in life and poker and sports betting and whatever else you want to do. Um, if you don't have that, then nothing else that we talk about would ever matter. Um, on the on the poker table, it really comes down to patience and waiting for good hands, especially in today's age where the, everybody's you know everybody's gotten so so much better than they were 15 years ago. People have learned the game and they've improved. So um, it's really about picking your spots and being patient, not just playing every hand to the flop, yeah. which a lot of people still you know somehow do. Yeah, Chris Moneymaker, I want I want to ask you this because it's the the. The best day in your poker life is very well documented, and it's it's part of this audio documentary, ESPN 30 for 30. What's the worst day you've ever had playing poker? The worst day I ever had playing poker, I lost 30K in Foxwoods uh, many, many, many years ago. Um, it was literally, uh, I just could never win a hand, and everything went bad, and I dug a little bit too deep. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on the Vikings? You're you're a pretty big football guy, I take it. I am a big uh, better, but I don't I don't even know who who plays this week. Who they play this week? Uh, they get a, they get the Golden Tateless Lions this weekend. Say hi to your friend back there too. <laughs> they, 
yeah, my, my dog's going crazy. My kids just got home. Uh, they play the Lions this week. Yeah, what's the spread on that? Do we know, guys? Uh, it's got to be like they're home. It's got to be it's five, five points. It's probably a three-point spread or something like that. It's a home, home game for the Vikings. Home game for the Vikings after they just got sort of embarrassed by the Saints on the on Monday Night Football. I'm, I'm going to go with the Saints on that. Or not the Saints, but the Vikings on that one. Five and a half. Five and a half. Five and a half. All right. Yep. Take five and a half. Five and a half for the Vikings. Yeah, I'd take the Vikings on that. All right. Chris Moneymaker, man. Hey, um, what else What else should people know about you? Where can they find you on social media, et cetera, aside from the ESPN 30 for 30 audio documentary? I'm C Money M21, or sorry, sorry, C Moneymaker on Twitter. And I'm actually running a, uh, from a sort of a promotional tour in conjunction with Poker Stars called the Moneymaker Poker Tour. We're going to be in Phoenix uh, this weekend, Windstar next week, and then. Seminole Hard Rock uh, towards the end of November. You can find out more information on the Poker Stars blog. Basically, what we're doing is holding an $86 tournament, and we're offering a $30,000 prize package on top of it uh, to go down to the Bahamas and participate in a $25,000 buy-in event in January. So come play for $86, which is obviously what my buy-in was, yeah. sort of uh, the point of it. And you can have an opportunity to go down to the Bahamas and play a $25,000 tournament and change your life. Right on. Hey, thanks for joining. This was fun. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it very much. Chris Moneymaker. I think it's weird because if you didn't follow or play poker back in the day, if you didn't get caught up in the Rounders craze, which was kind of... Rounders was like family guy and that it came out and nobody really paid attention to it. And then a few years later, it was wildly popular. Yeah, I saw it. It was great. I loved yes. it. And if you if you know who Chris Moneymaker is or you play poker, he's a legend. He's 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 the central figure of why poker became so popular in this country. But if you have no idea or you don't play poker, you like was that his real name? Yes, by the way, it's his legal mm-hmm. real name. <laughs> so did Rounders flop originally and then get big after? I don't know if it flopped because it wasn't it was really super good. high budget, I don't yeah. think, but they had all these stars. Matt Damon before he, Matt Damon after uh, Goodwill Hunting. Hunting, yep. Malkovich was and John Mal- cheap at the time. John Malkovich played a very. I think they brought him in. It wasn't like he was on set for sixty days or anything right. like that. But they they brought him in and filmed a bunch of scenes. And so Matt Edward Damon, Norton. yeah, Matt Damon did the rounds. He did the Bill Simmons podcast for an hour and a half and talked all about the behind the scenes of that movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're a poker junkie. That was that was fun for me. It was giddy. <laughs> that's awesome yeah no i could tell it's good. uh mackie and judd we've got our guy pff sam who's a regular on this show he was on last week basically did a video calling out judd zolgad that we should i get can't to wait to respond to this too i'm gonna have so much fun and mike golick jr plus the football op- live from the tcl broadcast studios please keep working during the following announcement mackie and judd are back on 1500 espn all right, let's check on your traffic here. Uh, 94 westbound, we've got a traffic incident reported in Minneapolis. That's between Riverside and Cedar Avenues. And uh, factor an extra couple of minutes there. And also 35E southbound, we've got a crash in St. Paul between Pennsylvania Avenue and University. And uh, prepare for an extra six minutes if you're headed southbound on E. All right. Thank you, Manny. And thank you guys for indulging me there. I know that was good, though. Yeah, him talking really about reading people yes. and reading players. Yes, that was really good stuff. That's fantastic. How about him? I mean, this is, I don't know, I've played poker enough when the poker boom hit and played online a bunch and paid rent for a few years. I didn't make Chris Moneymaker money, but 
So, like, some of these principles are, okay, like, even as a decent player, yeah, if, if people are fronting at the table, usually they're over-projecting and they don't have anything, and now the play is so high level. But how about him talking about things as nuanced as when players look at their two hole cards, the way that they put the cards back down, if they snap them back down to the table, it's a draw or they have nothing mm-hmm. or, or a larger percentage of the time. That stuff is fascinating. How can you tell someone's full of crap, basically? Right. right. <laughs> and that's why guys wear sunglasses, right? Yeah. So if their eyes get big or something, you can't see it? Or yeah. if they blink a certain amount of times. Yeah, that's really interesting. He said yeah. blink rate, right? Their blink yeah. rate? <laughs> well, he said, but he said, didn't he Didn't he say that during the course of of one tournament that he went to his basically brain coach? Yeah. So yeah, this was got, well after he won. So he was at his worst when he won the most. So he's got the brain coach, and he's telling that person what he just saw. Yeah, well, they, they, yeah, they, yeah, they go back and forth. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's really interesting. Blink rate. Football! Football! Yeah! yeah. Football! Yeah. Football! Yeah. The Rams now awesome. never blink. The Rams never have to worry about blinking. That's how good they are. They just stand there <laughs> with their eyes wide for? open. Who have they traded for today? Uh, they got Dante Fowler from the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they're a 3 4 defense. So basically, now they've got four guys who, who can rush the quarterback. So somebody's probably going to stand up and rush the quarterback, too. And they play the Saints on Sunday, by the way, in what yeah. should be a hell of a game. Yeah, that's. Uh, the Vikings are they got some work to do to get to that point. Um, let's Before we get to Mike Golick Jr. here in a few minutes. Saw this going around the internet today. This is a pro football focus, and Sam Munson's been a regular guest on this station for eight or nine years as pro football focus has grown and grown. And he did a video today, and I think this is mostly Sam on this video, right, on the Mm -hmm. audio we're going to play here. And he might as well be talking to Judd Zolged through the screen. Okay, Don't forget Matthew Collar, too. If you are coming out of the Vikings season at this point and say Kirk Cousins is the problem, you are... Well, you're doing one of two things. You're either completely oblivious to what's actually the problem, i.e. several things before Kirk Cousins. Yep. Just as the offensive line is maybe the worst in the league, certainly the top three worst offensive lines in the league. He's under an unrelenting amount of pressure consistently. He's not holding the ball longer than a lot of quarterbacks. He's middle of the pack somewhere in terms of time to throw, etc., etc. Or you're just trying to create you know, a clickbait story. I think it's clickbait. Yeah, you clickbait columnist Judd Zolgad. <laughs> you know what they never Sinking mentioned? Sinking ship. You know what they never mentioned? <laughs> what they did not do, and and I appreciate the fact that these guys watch film of every team, and so it, it takes a lot. They never really mentioned the fact that <clears throat> the turnovers have been a huge problem. Well, no, they're. I think they're taking into account turnovers happen, but they. But you've got to focus on that. Well, but don't you think that they probably took that into account when no, they said no, that he's no, not they're the looking, problem with the Vikings? They're looking, they're they're looking at his statistical output, and they're right about it. It's very good. Well, but they watch the film. They watch the film of every game. But and the other thing is, the other thing is, if you want, if they want to talk about him, they're right. The O line, but that goes back to something that Collar and I started harping on right post draft. He didn't do the. They didn't do that right. Right, but okay, agreed. No right. one disagrees with that. Right. I think, so the fumbles have been a huge thing throughout his career, mm-hmm. but is it fair to say that to what pro football focus Sam Munson is saying, if the offensive line was better, he'd be less likely to fumble? Even He has a fumbling problem, but he'd right. be less likely to fumble if the offensive line wasn't one of the five worst in the NFL. So if That's I have, a fact. So if I have drinking a drinking problem and you take away the alcohol, I'm less likely to drink, yes, but I shouldn't be drinking to start off with. 
I don't you know should, if that's a parallel analogy, you shouldn't, but <laughs> you shouldn't be fu- you shouldn't be fumbling to start off with. I, I think you it, protect the football at all costs. Is it fair to say? Well, I okay. This isn't a question. I know it's fair to say, but you might disagree with me. Kirk Cousins hasn't been perfect. Kirk Cousins has flaws. Kirk Cousins fumbles too much, and his brain malfunctions twice in every game. <laughs> you keep saying but, that, and I agree with you. But Kirk Cousins has been added value for the Vikings, yes. not minus value. Yes. He's better than Case Keenum. Yes. And if the Vikings are worse than last year, it's not because the quarterback is playing worse. It's because other components are not as good. That's my read on this team. If the quarterback would clean up the fumbles, I would be far more confident. He is better than Keenum. Absolutely. And I've said that consistently. And by the way, I was on board with his signing from day one. I did not first guess this and say, it's a problem. But... The entire conversation here revolves around the fact of, is this a team good enough to win, to get you to and win a Super Bowl? And so every conversation has to be based around that fact. If they had the Rams offensive line, if you just swap the Rams and Vikings offensive lines, the Rams would have two or three losses this season, and the Vikings would probably have, not they wouldn't be undefeated, but the Vikings would have two more wins. If the Vikings had a better offensive line, they'd have two more wins. The, the Vikings are in the rare air of teams where there is a necessary to nitpick because of the expectation on that team. Yeah. I think that's the fairest way to possibly put it. If the sure. Vikings were a middling team and signed Cousins, I'd say, this is fantastic. He's putting up a great year. Sure. Uh, they beat the Lions this weekend, too. The more I think, I think it was Manny that brought up, is this a must-win must game? Or somebody brought it, it up. I think it is, yeah. And if if you start to do some number crunching on what's it going to take to make the playoffs, and the, the Bears aren't really going to go away fully, that's a tough out, and the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. If you start to look at the post-buy schedule, and if you go in 4-4-1 four, four, and one into yeah. the last seven games, I mean, this is this is a game you probably have to have. And, well, you, and you also go Detroit by at Chicago Green Bay. Yeah, and I'll go again. I'll go back to the Buffalo game, and I know people are going to be like, "Stop talking about the Buffalo game." But because of the Buffalo game, your margin for error is not as wide as what it was before that game. So you, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I told this to Collar. They don't. You. They don't. There's no more room for a bad loss anymore. Like, and I don't even look at. Sunday night as a bad loss. They lost to the Saints, a good football team, one of the two best teams in the NFC. So it's not a bad loss, but a bad loss would be like Buffalo. They have there's no more room for that anymore. But did you guys know the Packers lost on Sunday? Go Pack, go! Everybody's calling Aaron Superman, and, and I've got to tell you, it's sobering because Aaron Rodgers is ranked 10th in quarterback ranking. 13th in touchdowns and 10th in, in yards uh, passing this year. Cousins the better. team is 13th in third down conversions, and he's responsible for most of that. I think Aaron Rodgers is a major problem on this team right now. I think there is stuff going on between him and, and McCarthy. But the bottom line for the highest paid player in the NFL, and I get it, he's injured, but if he's that injured, bench him. Go, Pat, go! Bench him. <laughs> For Deshaun Kaiser, am I correct? <laughs> that would be the that would be the implied next option. Oh my gosh! Yep. yep. Mike Golick Jr. When we come back, it's Mackie and Judd, Manny Hill from the TCL Broadcast Studio. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On fifteen hundred ESPN. 
little bit. Let's run for this. Yeah, they throw it the third most in the league on a percentage basis. Uh -oh. And that's passed off at the 44-yard line by P.J. Williams, uncontested to the end zone. Yeah, uh, Vikings uh, need to bounce back against the Lions, but uh, all kinds of news happening in the NFL today. This is this is one of the most active trade deadline periods we've seen. Is this it, is uh, outstanding. I, mean, I like love everybody's this. Everybody's wheeling and dealing. Mike Golick Jr. Uh, joins us every week. You can find him early in the morning on 1500 ESPN, ESPN Radio. Let's actually start with the Browns because they were the, the headline from yesterday. Um, man, like they went... It, it felt really good when the Browns were in every game and fighting, and then all of a sudden they fire a coach and a coordinator, and it's back to Brownsville for uh, for that team, Mike Oley Jr. Yeah, this was one of those situations that I saw before the season and was scared for Hugh Jackson's job right away before anything happened because you look at recent trends in the NFL and what we've kind of seen is if you're a coach with a less-than-stellar record who inherits a young, highly-drafted, high-draft-pick quarterback – and don't have success in that inaugural season, they tend to move on from you. See yeah. John Fox in Chicago with Mitchell Trubisky. See Jeff Fisher in Los Angeles with Jared Goff. Then moving on in favor, and now you can maybe add Jameis. Well, you know, we'll watch Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay as this goes on, but Marcus Mariota, Mike Malarkey getting fired down there, Todd Bowles and Sam Darnold, that might not be long for this world. It's just a situation that because of the structure and where the team's investment is, they end up deferring to that guy. And then when you've got all this reported infighting between Todd Haley and, and, and uh, Hugh Jackson, it's just a situation where they're like, this is not the environment that we want to try and develop our principal asset in. And so they just get rid of you. Speaking of that, Golick. Can you tell me how on God's green earth does Doug Marone continue to be employed? And I saw that Jacksonville traded Dante Fowler Jr. today to the Rams, who now, by the way, basically have a, a outstanding defensive line, taking it from being very, very good to completely um, awesome. But how is Doug Marone still the coach of that team? Help me. Because, because Tom Coughlin's making the moves? Like, look at the way this team is built. It just yeah. reeks of Tom Coughlin where you're going to try and build your team around a running back in Leonard Fournette who is kind of what, and you know what, maybe I'll be mistaken in saying this because he's so physically gifted, but man, he's been so banged up early. This is what I thought about Adrian Peterson before he proved me wrong this year, which is I thought he was a relic of a bygone era. You can't do what Minnesota did for so many years and structure an offense around a feature back. Now, Adrian Peterson overwhelmingly the exception. But you look in the modern NFL and teams that try and do that, look at the Cowboys from a few years ago. You have a season full of success, but doing that style of football wears too much on the body at this point. And in a league where the rules are so openly in favor of passing, it ends up being like settling for long twos in the NBA right now to where you're just sort of working against what all of the trends are pointing to, what all of the good offenses do, and maybe trying to get out ahead of the curve too much if there is some sort of recorrection. So I just think the way the team is structured, yeah, it fits with Doug Marone's personality and what we know about him, but this starts in my mind with Tom Coughlin and the way that he wants to do business. Golik, isn't it even amazing, too, when you look at this team that, you know, they were basically seven minutes from going to the Super Bowl last year, and they, you know, they were coming off going into Pittsburgh and winning that game and that playoff game and that, you know, beating the Bills in that grinded out wild card game. They go in the AFC Championship game. They've got the Patriots on the ropes. Now Tom Brady does his magic and he comes back and wins that game. But it, it, it's amazing how that team was so close to going to the Super Bowl. And now here they are. There's just dysfunction left and right 
along the roster. They sent Dante Fowler Jr. packing because apparently he was a toxic sort of uh, cog in that locker room. And and then you've got the quarterback situation, which is a mess right now. How how did the Jaguars get here so quickly after being so close to playing for a championship last year? Well, building their bedrock on a guy in Leonard Fournette. I mean, you look at him in that offensive line, and Cam Robinson, that effect of losing him at left tackle has been much bigger than I expected. But when you build it with that as the bedrock and then decide that you're going to invest in Blake Bortles, who at best has been like a game of Russian roulette pointed at your foot where you just hope the gun doesn't go off. But when it does, you end up shooting yourself in the foot, turning the ball over in this offense at a rate that him and Jameis Winston has been battling for supremacy in since the two entered the league, and and just hoping he's not going to be the mistake that gets you done. But as we've seen, more often than not, those mistakes are going to come, and you don't have a team right now that's healthy enough on one side on offense or dominant as they were last year on defense to overcome those mistakes at the level they did last year. It's something that... Yeah, they got lucky and decided to invest in it again against all seeming logic that existed in the universe that would tell you Blake Bortles is not the rock upon which you can build this church. But they decided to do that, and now they're reaping the rewards of that, uh, of too little, too late, kind of the same way the Giants did. You gambled on a quarterback that you thought had gas left in the tank, and you were wrong. The Vikings played Russian roulette with the gun pointed at their foot against the Saints, but every chamber had a bullet on Sunday night. <laughs> Adam Thielen fumbles and Stefan Diggs stops his route. Where where are you at? Let's let's go here with this. Where are you at with Kirk Cousins now that you've seen him for half a season in a Vikings uniform after three years in Washington? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, God, I've turned on so many games throughout the portion of the season. I get it. You brought him here to win the games against the upper echelon of the NFC, which New Orleans is absolutely part of that uh, that top class of. But, man, I've seen throws from him every game that look like $84 million throws. I get that they're two guys that are more often than not open or in good position the way Thielen and Diggs and the rest of this offense could be, but he still looks like a guy that's in control of this offense. The problem's been what it even was last year, and it's one that Case Keenum was able to overcome well, but it's the fact that you're pressured so much. I mean, this is an offensive line that's still giving up too much pressure to be sustainable for any passer, let alone one like Kirk Cousins, who we've seen operate with minimal interference in the past. So I think that's still going to be the source of a lot of your ills. But you're right. When you have your best players spit the bit in a couple of moments like that, you're going to lose games against those top-tier teams. Now, they're games I think they can win still down the stretch. And on defense, you get Everson Griffin back, and you start to get him reacclimated into being a part of this defense and being the playmaker, the cog, you know, the thing that makes this defense go. And I think you see the ripple effect benefits from that. Xavier Rhodes, you get, you know, obviously losing him hurt back there in the secondary. But I think this is still a team that can be well, but you can't, you can't make those mistakes, not against the teams like New Orleans that are, for the most part, going to play mistake-free. Speaking of quarterback play, Jameis Winston. Should Jameis Winston start another game ever again, Mike Golick Jr.? Wow. Uh, he, he will in the NFL, let's put it that way. Like, Nathan Peterman <laughs> just got announced that he's starting again this weekend. And God oh, help just, us. For, God, God yeah. help us, Golick. I mean, like, if, okay, if, if Josh Freeman could come back from the dead to throw 18 passes into the upper deck at the Meadowlands, <laughs> anybody can. It's one. Well, it's it, it, you're you're still a 24, 25 year old former first overall pick. It, at the end of the day, that's always going to get you second chances. The thing is, I, I just don't think you can do that in Tampa Bay. And the thing I like it is, there are plenty of middle of the the, the, the end of the bell curve in the NFL are quarterbacks that rise and fall with the level of talent around them. You look at Matt, and Matthew Stafford is probably the best version of this, but it's the Joe Flacco's, it's the Andy Dalton's, it's all these guys that exist in the middle ground, and the year their weapons are healthy and ready to go, they look great and play at a high level. 
Jameis Winston can be that on his best day, and the year before last was kind of that year for him. But the problem is, is that those guys all have a clean slate for you off the field, and Jameis Winston, if he's going to land himself off the field for you because of his transgressions as a person, that's not something you want to count on, especially not for the dollar amount that you have to these days now. So you have a chance, I think, because I don't know if Dirk Cutter is going to be long for that world if they keep trending for this direction, to potentially start with a new head coach and a new quarterback, which is still a formula that works in this league. For all the mismatching of that GM hires and when you time all these things, if you can get them together at once on the same page and in the right direction to grow, you have a chance. And I think that's what Tampa Bay, if they play their cards right, can have here. Well, and defensively, they're just a mess down there too, right? I mean, they just can't they can't stop anybody. And, you know, they fired Mike Smith, the former Atlanta Falcons head coach. He was their defensive coordinator, and they parted ways with him. I mean, it while Jameis is the issue, I mean, it just you just look at that roster from top to bottom and there's just still a whole lot of work to be done there. No, there isn't. It's it's bad. I mean, you tried to beef it up. You know, you signed Bo Allen from the Eagles this offseason. You draft Vita Vey, who I saw X-rays came back, but they thought might have had a knee injury. Quan Alexander just goes down in the last game. You've been ravaged by injury to an extent, but that's the other part of this, though, is that Dirk Cutter wasn't brought there to address defense. Dirk Cutter was brought there and given that job over Lovey Smith when it came down to it because of his relationship with Jameis Winston. He has not demonstrated an ability to make Jameis Winston the quarterback you needed him to be, and they've got weapons. That's the other thing is, in my mind, the best thing Ryan Fitzpatrick did outside of where Deshaun Jackson's clothes was show people this is the control. We know who Ryan Fitzpatrick is as a quarterback, and he was able to thrive with all those weapons, with Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans and two 50-catch caliber tight ends. And then you put Jameis back there, and it's the same turnover machine we've been getting. So that should show you enough that you put everything around him, and it's not been good enough. Both of them probably have to go. Yeah, we got a trap game this weekend, Golik. We got a trap game. Northwestern feels like a trap game to me. Man, it, we we have a schedule we. full of traps. That's right, games. we. That's right, it's we. <laughs> All you, you Irish guys, off. turn his mic. All off. you former Irish players like <laughs> Phil Mackey, Golik. <laughs> Matt, you don't let him get to you, all right? It is absolutely the we right now. I'm dressed like a leprechaun, okay? <laughs> That's he might fine. not be got kidding. My leprechaun underwear on. <laughs> Anyways, back to the trap game we have. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, it's a schedule full of trap games right now, though. You've got a Northwestern team and a site that we normally don't go and play home games for teams like Northwestern. You've got a road game against a Syracuse team that scares the hell out of me at Yankee Stadium, which ripe with distraction. And you've got a Florida State team that just got accused of quitting by their head coach, who is still very talented along the defensive front and is probably going to come in and play with, play with their best effort because that's what happens when teams come and play against Notre Dame. So it's a schedule full of trap games that we will be favored in, that we should win, and that all scare the ever-loving hell out of me because I lost plenty of those when I was there, some of them too, Syracuse and those like teams. Yeah. Hey, you guys show some respect to Northwestern, okay? That's the Big Ten West-leading Northwestern Wildcats that's taken on the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. It is true. Chicago's Big Ten team. That's right. (laughs) Chicago Uh, doesn't care, but it's their Big Ten team. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Notre Dame is Chicago's Big Ten team. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Actually, the the Bears for a while were Chicago's Big Ten team, but their defense is better this year. (laughs) That's true. All right, we'll see you next week. See you. All right, see you guys. Bye. Uh, Mike Golick, Jr., Former uh, football player at Notre Dame, he's paranoid, and I like it. Well, he sounds Notre like Dame, me talking about about uh, teams. Notre Dame gives you good reason to be paranoid because they do this all the time, where they look, oh, yeah. they snuck into the top five, and oh, now they're going to be unveiled. I'm sure tonight they'll be in the top four. They'll be in when we see the rankings tonight. Something's that's going to be a, that's going to be a fun game with Northwestern, though. No, it's I, not. 
Yes, it is. Well, for you. <laughs> how does Northwestern, I think how does Northwestern I think... do it, though? They get all, This is the Northwestern template now. Play non-conference games in which you disappoint mm-hmm. or don't play well. And then beat Ohio State or yeah, somebody. How, yeah. Or they, they've never done that, though, have they? No, but they, they played... Who did they play? They played back-to-back games uh, a couple weeks ago, and they did not play that well, but they won. Well, they beat Wisconsin. They beat... Uh, when Michigan State so was Wisconsin, ranked 20th, they, yeah. beat, they won at Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, they did win at Purdue to start the season, which is good. But they got and they almost beat Michigan on September. That's what it was. 29th. They blew. They blew <laughs> a they, big lead against Michigan. But that's they lost was. to Duke and Akron. I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> They're going to be like seven and five Akron. playing in the Big Ten championship game. The template like, makes no sense, but it, it's Fitzgerald's teams. <laughs> they lost to Duke and Akron. Oh my God. Um, the football hour. <laughs> Courtney Cronin, Matthew Collar coming up in about 15 minutes. Let's circle back on what happened at Target Center last night. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. Quick check on your traffic here. 100 northbound in Brooklyn Center. We've got a crash uh, between 57th Avenue North and 94. So prep for a few extra minutes there. And also... 494 eastbound in Oakdale. Uh, we got a crash between Tamarack Road and uh, 694. And uh, so be on the lookout for that. For uh, Yeah, if you're, on, if you're in that area, be careful. Be careful out there. We've got a few crashes out there, but everything moving around rather smoothly. Um, I think everybody does. Uh, I enjoy matchups against LeBron, against James, KD, Steph, whoever it may be. I just want to show that I can compete with the best of them. Minnesota has to score on this possession. Timberwolves, 11 total blocks tonight. And oh my goodness, Jimmy Butler, are you kidding me? Absolutely unconscious. Jimmy, with everything that you and this team have been through, Coaster all season training camp. What was it like tonight? Hit that three. You guys win a big game. Um, it's basketball. I don't think nothing that's gone on before this game has anything to do with us going out there and competing. We all go out there, play together, um, play to win, um, with or without what's going on. He last night should have been a joyous celebration of the new era of Timberwolves basketball. LeBron James comes in. I get it. It's LeBron James, and it's a work in progress. And I, I I got a feeling that team isn't going to play at a two and five pace all year long, but you know it's LeBron, and you do that with that. It's Butler and Towns is going bonkers, and Josh Kogi is just yeah. an energizer bunny out there. Yes, and you know Derek Rose four for sixteen, but he's giving you other things in the other categories, and it should he's have been odd for forty eight minutes. He was. It should have been a celebration of this era of Wolves basketball. Yeah, and instead it felt super empty and hollow because Jimmy Butler's Still wants to peace out. Last night is the tips plan, right? When, when they acquired been. Jimmy Butler in uh, June of 2017, now last night is is the tips plan. Towns plays Towns plays a very solid game, a nice game def- offensively. He actually played well. Jimmy works his ass off, hits five three-pointers in the fourth quarter, hits six, I believe, for the game. Mm-hmm. You beat LeBron James. You, your uh, target center is packed. It's great. And you watch it, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, that was a lot of fun. And the game was fun. Mm-hmm. The game was a lot of fun. The atmosphere was fantastic. And you think to yourself, yeah, but it can't last. Yeah, it's it's sort of fool's gold last mm-hmm. night. Like, I wanted to be excited about it. But I almost, I almost watched 
I can't believe I'm to this point with this team. I'm I'm almost rooting for them to lose in some ways because I don't know what winning does. Winning just extends the amount of time that you wait to trade Jimmy Butler, and it extends the amount of time that Tom Thibodeau thinks he has an actual meaningful team for this year. Oh, by the way, you see what the Warriors did last night? Yeah, they Clay Thompson broke the NBA yeah. record for threes in a game. And they had and 150 points or but something. But did you see who lost last night? Who could use Jimmy Butler badly? The Rockets again? The Miami Heat. Oh, the Heat. Okay. The Heat did. But the problem with last night is this. The rational human being would look at Butler's game last night and be like, this was fantastic. The value of Jimmy Butler is going up and up and up. And, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and aggressively shop him like I've never shopped him before. That's the rational human being. The head coach of the Wolves and president of basketball operations looks and says, this is exactly why I'm going to slow cook it even more. Yeah, it's it's so conflicting. I also have moments where I'm watching the game and I'm watching Okogi, not paying any attention to what the score is or what Jimmy Butler's doing because to me it doesn't really matter what Jimmy Butler's doing. If he's not, if he's not going to be here after the year, it doesn't matter that much. If, right. if they're not going to win big this year and he's not going to be here, then all right, you're kind of you're kind of irrelevant in my mind. But I was watching a Kogi, and he's still a little rough around the edges in terms of his shot, and but he's he's out there and he's he he's playing at ten times the pace that Andrew Wiggins does, and he's just bouncing around and getting in the lane and driving aggressively, and he's I don't know I just I really like the first six games of Josh Kogi, and I said I tweeted this this morning if they said tomorrow if Glenn Taylor had a press release that came out and if you could magically do this which you can't because you're tied up to contracts. And he said, all right, this isn't working, and everyone hates each other, and it's just there's too much tension and turmoil. We're going to hit the reset button, and it's going to be Carl Anthony Towns and Josh Okogie and Tyus Jones, too. And Tyus Jones gets to stay on as one of, the, one of the two point guards. And everything else is off the books, and there's new decision makers. I would sign up for that. So you have cap room. And I get that you're not going to lure Kevin Durant to your team, but you can rebuild the roster and you got two young guys. One of them's twenty three. The other's twenty years old. And it's a big and it's a wing player. And uh, you got you got diet Jimmy Butler and Josh Akogi, and you've got diet Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns. And you get a coach in here who can get the most out of them. I would sign up for that tomorrow. Obviously, you can't do that because you got contracts and <laughs> yeah. you got Glenn Taylor running it, and who knows what he's thinking how, when he watches it. How are you to feel about this team? Because you watched last night, and it's a fun game, and Butler plays great, and that was the intention, but he doesn't w- want to be here, and he's made that perfectly clear. How are you ultimately to feel about that game? Hollow. Yeah. It's it's yeah. very hollow. It's very conflicting because you don't want I, – I don't want to see this team be a dumpster fire. Like, I've <laughs> – I've seen that for 30 years. Let's 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 be real here, right? Like I I want to see this team be good and contend and be in the mix and go toe to toe with the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals and just see what happens. But you just you just look at and you know there there's there's the way the roster's constructed just in terms of the talent, not necessarily the personalities and everything. You know that this is a team in terms of talent that is good enough to at least go on some sort of a playoff run. But because of personalities not matching well and chemistry issues and the head coach not managing these personalities very well, this is what you got. You got a team that's three and four, and they'll show you glimpses of great stuff, but you know it's not going to last because you know just 
the way everything is constructed, it's just, just, there's just no way it's going to yeah. work. I bet you there was a part of LeBron last night thinking, and he was frustrated in his post-game comments too, and some of it was the questions that were being thrown at him. But I bet you a part of him has gone from feeling before the season like, yep, yeah, we're going to... We're going to spend the year molding these young guys, and we're going to build the, the young nucleus, and then we're going to add a max player to this equation in the offseason, and then we're off to the races. But I bet you if you were to ask him right after the game last night, all right, it's been seven games so far. These guys don't play defense. They're throwing the ball away in transition, and Lance Stevenson is being Lance Stevenson, and <laughs> like JaVale McGee's missing free throws. Stevenson's great fun to watch, though. You get to trade it. You get to trade Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma for Jimmy Butler straight up right now which I think I would take if I were the Wolves. If I could get Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma and like a draft pick for Jimmy Butler, I would pull the trigger on that over the Absolutely. Josh Richardson trade and over the four first-round draft picks from the Rockets. Yep. If you were to reapproach them, I bet you LeBron would say, all right, break, yeah, let's get Jimmy Butler over here. Screw it. Yeah. I feel like you have to. I feel like you have to pick up the phone again just to see if the Lakers are hedging a little bit. Like, ooh, I don't know, these young guys. Yeah, I can't decide on that Seven one. games, looks kind of ugly. But, but you know what, we though? Are. If, if you're Magic Johnson, you have no real incentive to even try to trade for Jimmy Butler right now because you know you can go get him in, in free agency. And if you don't get him, then maybe there's a chance you can get Kawhi Leonard or somebody. And I think LeBron, like I think LeBron's on board to to stay the course for a year here because he's got a lot going on there. It's going to be a tough year, but once that's done, they'll be absolutely fine. And I think, fine. He, yeah, he, he knew that. I think when he signed that deal with he, the Lakers, he knew – he played three quarters last night like a guy who's very much GM of that team. <laughs> no, he, he did. He could have busted his ass, and he and I don't. Well, he didn't bl- shoot until like the right. end of the first quarter. Right? But I don't blame him. <laughs> I don't blame him. But he played very much last night for for the first thirty six minutes of that game like a guy who's like, you know what? I just got done with all my GM stuff today. Now it's a little time for basketball. Fourth quarter, he, he was fantastic, but until then, he very he very much seemed to be a guy who knew his role on the 2018-19 Lakers, and that's ah whatever. Well, he, he, here's another factor to consider with LeBron too. So he he played 36 minutes last night, yeah. and he's been he's been playing minutes. He did he did rest the fourth quarter a few games ago, but he's been playing 43, 35, 34, 36 in a year in which it's total transition for the Lakers as they build this thing up. Wouldn't you try to get a year back? Wouldn't you try to? Why not play him twenty five minutes a night hmm. and basically rest him the entire year? Play him twenty five minutes a night. Play him most of the. Play him half the first quarter, half the second quarter, and then like whatever whatever the percentages are in the second half. Because what's the if yeah, you win if you if you if you're the Lakers and you win you grind out LeBron this year to win forty eight games or forty five or forty eight games and you mm-hmm. get beat in the first or second round. Because you're not beating the Warriors with this collection, right? No. <laughs> or you could save some of LeBron for the next three years of his contract when you also have reinforcements. I'm solving the Lakers' problems now. I the think Wolves that problems decision are impossible is coming from, to solve. I think that decision is coming from one guy, and his name's LeBron. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you one thing about LeBron, and he's not going to admit to this, but I'll tell you one thing he's eyeing right now: Kareem's scoring record. Yeah, he probably is. He's that's, eyeing that because he's, he's close. That's true. He's, close. he's definitely he's got an eye on history. All the, he's very aware of history and where about he stands. Four, about I think right now, about four years from now, he could potentially pass that record. Yep. And if he's not going to, if if because of his finals record, no one's ever going to put him in the Jordan category because of playoff record. If he can get all the regular season records yep. and then have a few rings, that's a good point. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye and give my seat to Courtney Cronin and Matthew Collar, and you guys can carry on with the football hour 